Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Colin Smith. He's based out of Colorado Springs and he's a real estate sales professional, property management owner, as well as an invest- a real estate investor. So Colin, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, you bet. So Colin, can you share you know a little bit more about your background and what got you interested in real estate? Sure. So I'll kind of start from the beginning. So I actually graduated college in 2012 with a civil engineering degree, went kind of into the traffic engineering world, but kind of right out of the gate started with a the whole house hacking slash live and flip. So purchased a single family a few months after I graduated, kind of got going in the new job. While I was living there, I was renting out a few of the rooms. So I was a four bedroom renting out three they're all renting for about 400-ish a month, grossing, actually it was 450 a month, one was 500. So 1450 in all plus utilities. And my total mortgage cost was about 1200. So I was kind of banking a couple hundred bucks every month just in that, but also doing a lot of cosmetic remodels to it. So scraped all the popcorn ceilings, did a lot of texturing, painting, turned over the kitchen, added all new stainless steel appliances, redid all the exterior in terms of the landscaping. And so that property kind of really got me hooked just because in that about two-year time span, I was able to gross about 30000 in rents and about 60000 in the sale. So over about two-year time span, I had about 90000 that I could kind of play with to start moving forward. So fast forward a little bit, sold that one, turned that into another property that we purchased and started flipping that one that we eventually moved into. So kind of another live in flip, but also started getting more of that bug. I tried doing some flipping myself, but never really could, was very successful at it in terms of just not having enough liquid capital. So I decided well, I should probably get my real estate license because I could help other people flip houses. So got licensed in 2014 really started with helping people just buy and sell their fix and flips. So that was nice because I was getting two transactions out of each side, working with different wholesalers on market, off market, and then the investors to help them flip. Started realizing during that time, I was making a lot more money doing real estate sales than I was in my engineering job. And I was working full-time pretty heavily there for a couple of years. And so in 2016 is when I decided to go full-time into real estate purchased my first rental property, true rental property that I wasn't living in, in 2016, left the engineering job, and then also started my company that I have still today, the Salt Rock Realty Company, where we do both property sales and property management. So kind of got that off the ground end of 2016, 
since then, I've been growing both my personal portfolio from first single family rental all the way up to now I've got about 50 residential doors and four commercial units, most of which is actually still vacant in that portfolio because we're somewhere in the middle of a pretty major renovation. I'm still selling properties and are, have a whole entire property management team where we manage about 300 residential units in town. Got it. So that's kind of the progression from the last nine years. Well, it's quite a, quite a lot of different aspects that you've been, been exposed to in real estate. Yeah. So for you, as you were making that transition in 2016 from engineering to real estate, from engineering to full-time real estate, can you share a little bit about, you know, you, you mentioned that now your real estate sales was making more than what you were making in your engineering job, but was that the only reason why you decided to make that transition? And can you share a little bit about what kind of helped you push and decide to make that decision? Okay. So I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial itch, if you will. And the engineering job honestly was really just kind of a life suck. So that was kind of, there were some dark periods in my life just during the uh, last couple of years in the engineering job, just really didn't enjoy it. It was in a cubicle in a basement. Engineering is just not a very social job in itself. And I just did not like being stuck in that little room for eight hours a day, five days a week. So, you know, also just being able to take it to the next level, I realized the brokerage that I was actually working with beginning of the year uh, didn't allow for me to do property management. So if I want to start managing professionally for others, I needed to start my own brokerage. And so the stars were just kind of aligning. My wife at the time had just actually got a job. She was a nurse. So she actually got a job in the public health department of the county. So right as I was deciding that it was the right time for me to leave the engineering job. So we actually got to keep our benefits. So that was also kind of just helping add that level of security as I transitioned out of having a stable W-2 job kind of going into all on my own at this point in time. Also had a really good friend who was also W-2. He was a realtor and had just left his W position or W-2 position to do real estate full-time. So he kind of spurred me on and said, ah, heck, if he can do it, probably so can I. What was the biggest challenge for you as you made that transition and started to build up your, you know, your own brokerage and your your own business? Ooh, um, it's always been a challenge trying to figure out what's the next step. So most of my friends would still say I'm a workaholic, was back then, still am. I don't really regret it. I really enjoy what I do, so I can't complain. Still been working 80, 90 hours a week, almost every week since then. So that being said, trying to figure out how to dedicate my time, what makes the most sense where, and what's kind of the most dollar productive activities, if you will. You know, back then it was, how do I just get things off the ground? A lot of figuring things out. You know, I've never really had a coach of any capacity. I've never really took any courses, any of the, you know, guru courses you might see out there. Never did any of that. If anything was just listening to podcasts like these or, you know, a lot of audio books, just trying to educate myself to grow in some capacity. Quite honestly, I failed a lot, you know, did a lot of wasted a lot of money on marketing that learned that just never really panned out. And so I was always trying, trying new things and, you know, trying to ditch the things quickly if I figured they just weren't, just weren't working. So a lot of trial and error. What about property management really enticed you to wanting to create your own brokerage? So uh, we've all heard the stories over the years. It's really hard to find a good property manager out there. 
Um, and so I really want to set out to kind of be create the property management company that is offering just the highest level of customer service for both the landlords and the clients. And we still push for that today. Quite honestly, if I, I actually have not ever made any money in my property management division. I still don't make any money in my property management division. That's more from a perspective of uh, we want to keep growing. So dedicating money to marketing dollars, dedicating money to having an A-plus team staff and be able to afford those salaries. So um, salaries is definitely the biggest portion of you know any company. So if I'm going to attract top tier employees, I've got to be able to offer higher salaries. So, you know, will that turn around one day? Definitely will. I'm not really too worried about it. I've always made my money in property sales and will continue to do property sales. And at this point in time, probably in the next 12 months, I'll be transitioning to making a lot more money in my real estate portfolio as we start finishing up a lot of these renovations and have more um, short-term rentals that will be cash flowing. So... So from other property managers or in the space that you've seen, you know, what are some of the different areas where you saw that there could be improvement and that you focused on in your own business? Hmm. I see a lot of things that property managers promise and don't follow through with. I'd say the biggest piece is doing routine inspections. There are so many properties that we pick up management for, and it's just a complete disaster. So to some degree, we've almost start to specialize ourselves as just picking up these really hard properties, turning them around. We've got an in-house maintenance team that can do most of the remodels where we've got a vendor list we can rely on. Um, but quite honestly, most of these situations come about from either just self-managing landlords or property managers who just aren't paying attention, that they're not going and checking on things. They're just saying, hey, the rent came in every month, so let's just ignore it. And there was a property we took over several months ago. Rent was always on time, never had a maintenance issue for probably eight, nine years. Even the owners hadn't been in the unit for that amount of time. And it, were, it was during a property sale. And so the buyers and I finally got in there to do the inspection and come to find out the tenant was a hoarder and there was just bags of garbage about waist high. We couldn't even get into the bedrooms. It was just so packed full. And that, that only happens because nobody actually went to go inspect the unit for years on end. So, you know, it's, it's quite honestly, it's the little details that really make the difference in property, manager, uh, in property management in general, just be able to create efficiencies, turning properties over faster, making sure tenants get taken care of. So, you know, we always tell people we don't represent just landlords, we represent the tenants too. And we want to make sure that their needs are met. You know, we're not going to repair anything and everything they ask for, but we're going to get their repairs done very quickly so that when it comes time for lease renewals, they're more likely to want to stay with us because they felt like their maintenance needs were taken care of at that time. And I'd love to ask you as well, you know, what was, you know, based off of all the different properties that you've managed, what was the most memorable one that you've had in your career so far? Actually, that'd probably be. There's a couple just sort of within my personal portfolio. We had a 19 unit that we're still working on the renovations for. The owner was self-managing from Tennessee, 19 units. His approach was if they sent him a check in the mail, he'd he'd return it with a key. And it was the tenant's responsibility to get the previous tenant's possessions that were left behind out. And just did zero maintenance. 
all sorts of problems. Uh, you know, people that were uh, probably a third of the tenants were delinquent. And quite honestly, units were just quite disgusting for most of it. So at the same time, it was the cheapest place in town. So people people who were just struggling to make their pay their bills stayed there for a long time because that was what was comfortable to them. That was the easy option. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and quite honestly, when we, when we first took it over, there was probably a drive-by shooting on probably once or twice a week. It was getting out a couple of key tenants that put a stop to that situation pretty quickly. In that type of situation, how do you handle you know, the communication with the current occupants of the property? It's just being real clear with what our intentions are. You know, we'll, property managers in the tenant's eyes, especially when there's a transition, we'll see it a lot. When we come in and we tell people, hey, we're the new property managers, we really try hard to say, we're here to help you. We want you to see us as the good guys, because quite frequently, a lot of tenants have the perspective of, there's new management, you know, the sheriff just rolled in and now, now they're, you know, what are we going to do now? And people tend to panic a little bit. And so we try to not let that happen. That being said, in, in these situations where we do want them to go, it's just, it's very clear and cut saying, Hey, here's your termination of lease. You will be out. If you don't leave, we will evict. You will have an eviction on your record. This is how this is going to go out. And if they don't leave by that termination, you know, cash for keys is always a great solution to not only speed the process up, but it's quite honestly, it's a cheaper, it's cheaper to take that approach than to go through the whole eviction process. So utilizing cash for keys, if they're willing to take it, they don't always do. But if they're not willing to work with us, then it's just going through the standard eviction process at that time. And how is your communication with the owners themselves? We're always keeping them up to date. So in our property management software, we we really rely on the communication there because the tasks can bounce around to different team members. And we want to be as transparent as we can with our owners. So it's always sharing whatever communication is going on. They're always welcome to check in. Sometimes it's, hey, we've got no update. You know, evictions can take a couple months. So if they start checking in with us, you know, every week, sometimes it's, hey, we've got no update this week. But as soon as there is an update, that's when we say, okay, you know, sheriff's going to be out on November 2nd or something like that. Or, you know, the court date was X and we, you know, won the trial. So it's just keeping them up to date as best as we possibly can. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And how have you built out your business and scaling in terms of your real estate sales and your property management team on the different properties that you are managing and also selling? Good question. So over the years, I've had to kind of pick and choose what I really want to do. You know, even though I'm still working 80, 90 hours a week, that still almost isn't enough. 
So I personally still sell a lot of properties. I, at one point in time, was pursuing having a larger real estate sales team, which required a lot of advertising for new team members and interviewing and training and trying to get them to work leads and kind of going down that whole route of the sales brokerage side, while meanwhile trying to grow the property management side, while meanwhile also having all these, uh, my real estate projects going on, redevelopment projects going on. It kind of got to a breaking point where all aspects were maybe not being serviced as well as I could have. So I eventually had to pick and choose what I really wanted. And the thing that I let go was having a real estate sales team. So we still have some team members that are just here that have been here for a long time, but we don't actively look for or even bring on new agents at this point in time, which has helped dedicate more time to our property management side and our real estate portfolio. And really in the last 12 months, I'd say we've really made huge improvements in our operations and our customer service level. So very excited about, you know, just being able to be that or be able to see that goal to come to fruition and kind of see that moving along. And being in the role that you are currently in, you know, you have a lot of great insights into the market and the renters and the market itself because you're interfacing with, you know, the tenants themselves daily, daily or weekly or, you know, very frequently. So for you, especially with being everybody being in the pandemic situation and um, people are worried about, you know, the real estate market. For you, how do you see the trends coming up? And then how do you how does the the residents themselves feel about you know the safety of about how people want to handle the COVID situation and and everything that's going on currently? So we're still definitely working with people. You know, we'll be scheduling inspections or trying to get contractors in to do repairs or you know you name it, whatever it takes. And sometimes they'll communicate back to us, hey, we just contracted COVID, we just tested positive, blah, 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 who knows. If it's a more immediate repair that needs to happen, then all team members are aware, you know, wearing extra PPE gear, making sure that they're equipped. And then if the tenants are able to leave during that time so we can get in there, so there's less, you know, close contact, that's always a benefit. Otherwise, if it's something that can wait, then we always just wait. You know, for example, we are we've got a I like to buy properties that are in rough condition. So we've got a property that needs some foundation repairs to get done. It's on a fourplex. Trying to get my foundation guy in there to just do a full evaluation of all, all four units. He was supposed to get go in there. And the day before, one of the kids, tenants' kids had tested positive. So he said, No problem. We'll just reschedule in two weeks. Check back in a couple of weeks. They said they still weren't feeling great. Wait another week check back in. And now the dad had contracted COVID and just tested positive. So still have not got that our foundation guy in there, but we'll just keep waiting because it's it's not like it's going to fall down tomorrow, but we're going to keep working with them until we can make that happen. So there's that aspect. I would say the media overhyped a little bit in terms of the whole you know eviction moratorium. Like when the eviction moratorium actually lifted, we didn't have any evictions left to do. We had already completed them all. There was a lot of restrictions lifted at different periods of time. And we were always communicating with our owners so they're up to date. And we're also always communicating with our tenants, trying to get them resources. So there were there were actually quite a few resources out there to help tenants get caught up on rent or get, you know, just any amount of rent paid. Those that couldn't get the resources or adequate resources, we were working with them to, you know, just essentially move out. 
I will say even even our owners are, to some degree really stepped up and worked with our tenants. You know, there was a lot of tenants that had to do a lease break. Our standard lease has a lease, lease break fee in it, which would be considered additional rent owed to the owner. We talked to a lot of our owners about just waiving that whole lease break so that they could move on, get something that's a little bit less expensive that they could live in during this time. And meanwhile, we could re-rent it to somebody who could still afford to be in there. So for current and new renters, potential renters, what has been their biggest concern so far? Have you seen any type of commonality between them? Not really. If, if anything, a lot of most things are kind of back to normal. COVID is not quite, we're not really hearing people asking questions about it anymore. So it's kind of one of those things that it's still there. It's still something we're taking into consideration, but it's not even something we talk about every week. Got it. And from how about from the owner's standpoint, is there a commonality or biggest concern, you know, as they're bringing in new tenants? Well, bringing in new tenants is all about verifications. So vetting the tenants very thoroughly has always been and always will be a very important step in that process. Uh, especially when the pandemic started breaking out, we had to do a lot of verifications to make sure that Yes, they were employed and have bank statements that show uh, pay stubs or even have a current pay stub. But there's a lot of people who are applying for you know these rentals that just lost their job yesterday. And so it was verifying that they actually still had a job at the time of their application. Not all of them did, even though they had a very recent pay stub. So we're, we had to really watch out for that one. But you know, even today, it's just kind of going back to normal at this point in time you know, just making sure that we do our verifications so we're putting in good quality tenants that, and it's always a balance. So quality tenants combined with the best rent we can get does not always go hand in hand. You know, we could probably, and I see other like self-managing landlords get rental rates that are significantly higher than what we might get, but their standards for the tenant are significantly lower. So vice versa, you know, we're not going to get as much rent but our standards are much higher. We would rather have our higher standards because you know we don't want to get three months in and also in tenants not paying. And then we got to go through the eviction process and they're leaving the property badly damaged and you know breaking things on the way out. So we'd much rather have a quality tenant than you know just a little extra rent. So Colin, for you, what's next? Moving forward, so really still kind of dedicating a lot of time to you know, just making our property management team the best it possibly can be and continue to grow the number of doors we manage. But, and then also we're starting to get more into even bigger projects. So tearing properties down the studs and rebuilding them, doing more commercial sized remodels, not really looking at single families anymore, but kind of doing the bigger, the bigger projects that maybe new people may not be so interested in, if that makes sense. And how has real estate investing impacted your life? For me, it's more of a hobby than a job. So I, I just really enjoy it. You know, I'm very competitive and really with myself. So I'm always tracking different metrics to see if, you know, we're, we're growing and making sure we're always on pace to be just a little bit better. And it's just kind of fun for me at the end of the day. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Hmm. That's a good question. I'd probably say the biggest thing that I've learned is that most people all know that anything five units and more is considered commercial. And that is only true in the lending world. And while this might be different you know, across the country, at least 
here in our Pikes Peak region, our building department says that anything three units and more is considered a commercial building. And once you do a commercial level remodel, it requires architectural and engineered stamp plans. And architects and engineers are extremely busy right now. So they're very hard to come by. So I've lost a lot of time on several projects and kind of made a lot of mistakes on the front end, just sort of emptying properties of tenants really, really fast, thinking I'm just going to walk in there with my basic C-level general contractor and start doing these remodels. And it really needs a B-level commercial contractor, not to mention you got to have all these plans. And so we've lost just tons and tons of time on these remodels, figuring all that out. So had I known that things would have been a little bit different, but it was a great educational experience at the end of the day. Oh yeah, no, that's, that's an absolutely great point. So what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? I'd say it's a combination of taking risk and action. You know, certainly there's different levels of risk. My tolerance for risk is very high compared to most people. Yeah, I'd say most people that are in the industry have very low risk tolerance and kind of want all the answers right up front. And so often pause and don't take action. So kind of combining the two can really be a game changer for people who want to try and grow that portfolio quickly and take on some, you know, bigger remodels, some riskier deals, if you will. And Colin, do you have any tools or techniques that you've used to improve the efficiency or your of your business or your personal life that you can share with us? Just not being afraid to ask questions. You know, there's the only question that's not asked is the stupid question. So ultimately, there are no stupid questions. And whenever you just don't know anything, the very first thing I'll do, just go pick up the phone and call somebody who does know it. Even with our contractors, I'll be sitting down with my project manager, working through, trying to figure out where, where our timeline is. And we'll kind of say, well, I don't know where the plumbers are at. So we'll just stop and just immediately call the plumber and say, where are you at? What's going on? When is it going to, you know, what needs to happen here? So it's just communication with people and asking questions is a big leading success tip, I'd say. Yeah, I love the asking questions aspect of it because sometimes if like you're in a room with a couple of other people and you ask a question that you might think maybe everybody knows, but I'm just going to ask this question anyway. I might look stupid, whatever like that. And all of a sudden you see other people like start to sit up a little bit, their ears perk up because they have the same exact question that you have, but they're just too afraid to ask it as well. Yeah, that's always true. So we also host one of the largest meetups in town. And, you know, when you got a room of 70 people, there's always somebody who's a little too nervous to ask a question, but you can always tell when somebody does, they're very thankful. You know, the room in general is often very thankful that those details are being answered because it's really easy to gloss over some of those more technical terms or strategies, if you will. So Colin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. You bet. So if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you're doing, where's the best place that they can go to find out more? Just hop on our website, just solidrockre.com or or just Google Solid Rock Realty Colorado Springs and we'll be the first uh, website that comes up. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Colin. Yep. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com 
and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.